it's not that you know god is directly punishing them it's the fact that he has been protecting them and he says you know you're going to forfeit my protection Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are our friends Karen. Yes. And Tracy. Good morning. And homeless Amy. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Amy, am I divulging too much information or do you mind telling our listeners what's going on with you there? We sold our our home and we're using the money to build on a piece of property we bought three years ago. But meanwhile, we're living in our camper uh, <laughs> inside the shop building. But we have a shop building, so we're every aspect of your marriage and relationship is about to be tested. Right? <laughs> Trust me, Calvin pushes the margins all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm sure he's probably like super, just like thrilled off to be so close to the shop now. Like, oh, right, right. He I mean, he's literally living his man's dream. Well, but where the- where will he go to hide in his man cave when he now lives in his man cave? Right. That is <laughs> an excellent question. But remember, I have a barn. So Hooray. we'll each just, each just retreat to our own corners. You know, A giant she shed with animals. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We're both quite content, actually. We've been wanting this for a long time. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, that is awesome. Of course, you could just retire on your your Colorado real estate uh, values. So we talked about that. (laughs) Wow! Yeah, it was uh, it was quite shocking. I won't make Amy tell you how much over asking price that the house sold for, but holy smokes! (laughs) The person that bought her home might be among the millions and millions of listeners we have right now. Oh, yeah, no. Right, right. Well, they know how much over they asked for, so so they (laughs) didn't pay. That's that's the bizarre thing about the Colorado real estate right now is is the amazing prices people are willing to pay for it right now. This is the first time I've ever been on the receiving end. (laughs) Yeah. Right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, It's bonkers. It's bonkers. All right, well. Uh, here our real estate is amazingly high, but in the state of Judah, watch this. Watch this for a uh, for for a segue, guys. Uh, in in Judah and Jerusalem, real estate is worth nil at the point of our of our reading. Really? Did oh, you just oh, do at that? At the point of our reading. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I did. I thought it was pretty ingenious. Yeah, was it okay? <laughs> It okay, was, it was yeah. It, it was off the cuff, uh, 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 tomfoolery on my part. So you know, <laughs> I'm stepping into wait, our readings. Wait, that I, leads us to our title. Alas, alas. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, but I'm I'm stepping outside of my comfort zone and and and, and going into the the ridiculous. <laughs> okay, so can I like uh, tell you guys this cool thing I found when I was researching all this this week? Sure. Um, where is it? Hang on. I have a computer tab pulled up and saved. Okay. So I always get a kick out of it when the Bible is reinforced with uh, secular records from different nations. Right? Oh, I always right. think yeah. that's cool. So there's this broken piece of stone covered with writing called the Babylon Chronicle. Um, that sounds a, fake. 
It's a <laughs> it's a clay, a clay tablet that covers uh, that has historical records on it for the years 605 to 594 BC. Cool. And it's got some interesting stuff about this period of time, and it's it's of course it's from the Babylonian point of view, um, but it's it's pretty interesting. Wow. It's like. You know, Nebuchadnezzar invaded because of this, and then he set up this king, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then like so and so fails to pay tribute, and so we do this in response. It's pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. right. and then we went to Judah and got tons of stuff. Right, that time. <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys are curious, like that's actually a thing, and there's pictures of it on the interwebs, and it kind of spells out a, a a kind of a cool history of it. Much more summarized than the way we're going at it, but yeah, hmm. yeah, that is cool. Very I love cool. looking at stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm curious what you know, what else is recorded besides the, what we. So have. the yeah, the king, the king that invaded. How does he tell this story? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, they always yeah. say, well, history is written by the, the by the winners or whatever. The it's conquerors, like conquerors, right? Yeah. right. yeah, that would be interesting. It'd be very interesting. Well, just so our listeners know what we're talking about, we're in the book of Lamentations. We're going to study the entire book today, but we have been talking over the last lots of weeks. I don't even know. I couldn't even count of the over the downfall of Israel and Judah and ultimately the takeover of Judah by uh, Babylon and, uh, you know, the several the several years and siege that that took place. Some of the notes in one of my Bibles was suggesting that this book may have have been written by jeremiah or at least that's a traditional view of it yeah. and you know as i was reading through it i thought well maybe it could be i guess it would depend on a few things uh some things make it sound like very possible and other things make it seem maybe less so but um i don't know i mean does it seem likely to you that this could have been written by jeremiah almost making this like second jeremiah i think it's it possible it would be one thing to be the prophet that is receiving the messages from God, relaying it to the people and tracking their responses. Mm -hmm. It would be completely another thing once this this year and a half long siege takes place and you're watching the final breakdown of your homeland. That's a whole other experience. And that's kind of what Lamentations is, is it starts off with a little bit of you know, woe is us, God is punishing us. And then it gets into some, like, I'm trying to hold on to my faith. And like, it gets into some of the kind of ugly nitty gritty of what's going on during the siege. And yeah, it was a, it was like, a, it was a long siege. And this, this poor city did not do well. Yeah, right. I was just going to say, my commentary points out the fact that um, some of the critics who think that it's not written by Jeremiah point out verses like 121 and 29, where it doesn't really sound like Jeremiah because he's basically saying, woe is me, no one is here to comfort me, you know? And, and so that's kind of where they're getting that information. They're, the critics are saying, you know, Jeremiah would never have said that kind of thing. But like Karen was saying, oh yes, he might have. Like all of us have gone through dark times when you're suddenly like, where's God? What is happening? And, See, and I think it's that, that yeah. humanistic flair that sometimes just momentarily momentarily alters your character certain things you would normally do mm -hmm. when you're at that low point and watching your home be destroyed and your people carried away and people being killed i think anything is possible 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and humans are frail. Yes. Mm-hmm. Shockingly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. like David, he's probably the most sort of verbose about his feelings in the Bible. And he went from a mighty man of valor to woe is me in like 0.3 seconds all the time. So right, right. I still wonder if he was untreated bipolar, though. I really do. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, it was verses like that that made me wonder if it was yep. Jeremiah. You know, it, it's probably not super important to know that it's Jeremiah or not, but. Uh, you know, it would be interesting if it was. So we're but... assuming that there wasn't a writer named Lamentations or. <laughs> <laughs> Ghost writer. Good assumption. Good assumption. There, there are some people who get some, some, who got some crazy names in the Bible. <laughs> exactly. You could, you could, uh, you could believe that that would be a possibility. Right. Remember Ichabod? <laughs> well, some of the names that God had people name their children, they weren't flattering flattering names and i can't think of any right off off the bat but their meanings were like oh wow that's 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 awful (laughs) but so anyway yeah so so jerusalem has fallen to babylon at this point or or no you know i gotta take that back jerusalem is i think this is being written during the siege probably so it's you know we're backing up here a little bit again my my oh, brain this is wants the final siege. This is yeah. the final siege. So it's in like 587. This is right before the whole thing just collapses. And yeah. and what's his toes from Babylon like actually breaks through the wall. Yeah. Yeah. So the author, whether it be Jeremiah or not, uh, has some comparisons that he starts making of the city, like comparing the city to a lonely widow and an enslaved princess, which obviously, you know, if you were reading this cold, it would imply that this was a place that had been had some grandeur and had had glory because when you you compare it to other other parts of the bible where you know god's people are compared to a lovely bride and you know the city of jerusalem itself had been compared uh, like a like a beautiful woman and now it's a a lonely widow or a princess who's who's been enslaved so you know kind of the opposite of where it has been he talks about how friends have become enemies and now they're under affliction and hard servitude. And this had me thinking of their time in Egypt. So yes. what what a um, oh, how do I want to put it? What a what a circle they've gone through of going from slavery to being like the greatest superpower of the world. And now here they are going back to servitude. Well, and to, the, and, and to the point where some of the people were desperate to go back to Egypt to hide from what Babylonia yeah. was bringing. Yeah, yeah we talked about that. refuge there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had talked about that over the last couple of weeks where, where people wanted to go to Egypt. And, and, of course, you know, this is many or several, at least, um, generations past where. Oh, yeah, many. Yeah, yeah. you know, nobody, nobody who was alive had been under Egyptian servitude. Uh, but. Just to think of the history that Israel, and I when I talk Israel, I mean all twelve tribes, not just the the northern Israel, but all of all of it. But the history that the Israelites have kept over the years, yeah. over the centuries, even today, of the remembering, yeah, the ceremonies and stuff, all remembering the time in Egypt and how bad that was and how they don't want to go back to it, and they're willing to and they're willing to go back to it. Those, uh, yeah. Very, very interesting that they would um, think to go to that. And, you know, speaking of those feasts, uh, verse four talks about how no one comes to the set feasts anymore. 
So we're talking about Passover. We're talking about Pentecost. We're talking about the Feast of Booths. These are Pentecost. all mates. Pentecost. What are you talking about there? The, well, Feast of Weeks. It's Pentecost is another word for Feast of Weeks. Okay. They had their Feast of Weeks. We call it Pentecost these days. So when, when the, okay, so when, you know, all the disciples or apostles were meeting after Jesus had died and then, and, you know, Pentecost happened, that'll happen. I mean, maybe, I guess I need to do a little research on that, but that was, um, but that was happening during one of these other feasts that would have been happening, I guess. But they, you know, they would call it Feast of Weeks, but sometimes they get called Pentecost. So. Uh, we right. think of Pentecost a, now is when the Holy Spirit came on the on the apostles. Right. Um, Isn't it? It's oh, I'm I'm not probably remembering right, but it's a certain number of weeks after the Passover. So mm -hmm. it's so that's where it gets the feast of weeks, but it's Pentecost, which is five weeks, right? Yeah. Five is Penta. I don't know. Yeah. 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 So Pentecost is probably a more I'm gonna say more modern. It probably comes more from a Greek uh mm -hmm. Greek a Greek word. A name for it but nobody is coming to these feasts anymore which is a pretty big deal because of how much those feasts had really been defining for culture at the time it's like saying nobody showed up for thanksgiving yeah yeah mm -hmm. yep yeah i imagine you <laughs> you have a whole thanksgiving dinner prepared and nobody, nobody you know, but comes. then i think it's it could be too it's once again that that humanistic part of it that, you know, you're in the middle of a war, you're not doing well, the enemy's at your door, banging down your door. Is there a lot of room for celebration? Yeah. This has been going on for a while. Like we talked about over the last couple of weeks, like the, yeah. the, the takeover of Judah by Babylon happened over a number of years. Right. Like Babylon, but, you know, you know, originally, you know, so-and-so stops paying tribute. And so Babylon comes in and like, you know, kicks butt and takes names and then sets up a token king. And then that token king stops paying tribute. And so that guy gets taken out. Like this went on for years. And this is the final. This payback. is the third invasion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think it, it probably just progressively gets worse and worse as, yeah. you know, food dries up, the, the you know, water becomes scarce the whole deal so you know i just think it continues to spiral down and people get demoralized for sure well and you know i think it's questionable if these feasts had really been happening or for even longer than this maybe as uh as the the society the whole nation had just been falling away from right. god you know yep. kind of I say slowly, but it hadn't been that slow. I mean, you know, but they had been, they had just not been really following God's directions for a long time as it is. And now there's not only are they not doing it, but now it's almost like they can't do it anymore because, right. you know, as we've seen, and I don't know what the point of the writing of this, but we've seen the temple literally destroyed. It's gone. It, you know, yeah. there's nowhere to go have, there's nowhere to do all these things anymore. Well, that so. happened in my in my historical research this week. That happened when um, when Babylon finally broke through the wall and actually mm -hmm. physically took the city. That yeah. was the final destruction of the temple. Yeah. This time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But but before that, and and I get what you're saying about were the feasts even happening, and for how long had the nation sort of fallen away from that? Their their sort of heritage and God history based celebrations, because look what they were doing with the temple. 
like they were keeping mm-hmm. horses in the stalls, you know, over the generations, like they're running a marketplace out of it. They're prostituting out of it. Like, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. it wasn't being used for what it was supposed to be anyway. Which tells me why God was like, yep, we need to destroy that. You know, we're talking, it talks about how their honor from the surrounding nations and their former allies has it's turned to despising. And it's because they've seen Judah grow weak. So we literally we have watched from Solomon's time, which was which is an excruciatingly short time when you think about it, which is for Solomon's time to be this amazing height of power after after David lifted everything up and Solomon brought it that little bit higher. And then, you know, it just kind of went over an edge and started going down. What sound from, did it make when it went over the edge again? I think it was. Okay. It was Just something checking. like that. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that is, uh, uh, I might be able to spell it for you later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I just, I just looked it up. Solomon, um, completed the temple in 957. And, and now we're down to the late 500s. So 400 years, 400 ish years. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, that that tells you how, you know, it gives you kind of an idea how many generations have gone by, how much, how how separated they are from that firsthand knowledge that their forefathers would have had. And, and well, for hmm, that's interesting to me now all of a sudden, because you think how long was it between Abraham and uh, uh, then the Israelites getting the promised land? It was about 400 years. Depending on how, you know, how you interpret the time in, 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 uh, in Egypt, because some, some scholars say differently. Some say it started, that 400 years started in Abraham's time. And then some say that 400 years was literally time in Egypt. But either way, I think it's interesting that from the time that Abraham was promised the promised land until they took it, or, you know, there was that 400 years span there, and then another 400 years, and it's taken away from them again. It's uh, that's interesting. It says she did not consider her destiny. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. I think that's maybe I actually have a star next to that one. That's uh, an interesting concept to consider. If we're not thinking about where we're going, where do we end up? If you if we aren't you know, that highlighted on mine, too, is that, you know what? Did they take their eyes off off God in that that? point in time and didn't know where their destination was because they should have you know if they were following god then it was all laid out for them already but they they abandoned that in hopes of of going after what they thought or self if we don't stop to think about where we want to end up we're just going to end up wherever we get pushed and more often than not if we're just letting ourselves be pushed we're not going to end up in a good in a good place so Eric, you guys remember Eric? I know that guy. Years ago, (laughs) back in the early days of our podcast, he had an interesting analogy. So Eric likes to climb 14ers, and he had an interesting analogy. I've actually been up a 14er with him. It was was on a film crew. It wasn't like we were actually like just hiking it straight. No, we were hiking it back and forth and back and forth and setting up shots and carrying equipment. It was horrible. Anyway. Oh, my. So, yeah, I didn't do well. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But um, he always had an interesting analogy, and that is, like, for the first part of a trail, 
you're in trees when you're climbing a 14 or you're in trees and so the trail is pretty well defined you know but then eventually when you get up past the tree line you kind of lose that trail because you're out in what is typically just an open shale field and he said your tendency is to put you know put your head down and focus on your steps so and then he said for him the first couple of uh, 14ers that he ever climbed he would get surprisingly off track he would have his head down gasping for air right like there's not much oxygen up there at 12,000 no. feet plus and and he would be watching his feet, watching his feet, watching his feet. And then finally he would stop to take a rest and he would look up and he would be off point. He was no longer going towards the summit. Mm -hmm. So yeah. his his point was always, you know, sure, sometimes you got to put your head down and, and choose your next step. But but you have to look up and reorient. And that's kind of what we're talking about here is like. Yeah, Israel had a bunch of stuff right in their face that they, Israel, Judah, okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. Judah had a bunch of stuff right in their face that they had to deal with. We have a bunch of stuff right in our face that we have to deal with. But we have to remember to look up and reorient our decision for our next step to the summit that we're trying to achieve. Or yeah. even if you take one wrong step, now and then you go a straight line you're a half degree off and guess what you miss your target by 300 yards when you get mm -hmm. there yep i remember uh eric's analogies they were terrific yeah right <laughs> yeah. yeah but that is a good basic i mean you know if you're not on a trail specifically this is something we always taught boy scouts too you know if you you, you take your compass point you might look at your compass point and you pick a, a landmark and as you're walking you keep your eyes on that landmark because yep. if because yeah if you start looking down or if you're not you know actively looking right at your compass you will veer off you'll just you know there was a myth episode of mythbusters where they were trying to walk straight forward blindfolded and they could not do it people will start work they'll just start mm -hmm. going in circles and spiraling and they will they will swear to you they were in a straight line and they will just they'll almost go right back where they started it's it's kind of fascinating Okay, well, we kind of need to move on here, but before we leave chapter one, we're still in chapter one here, there was a verse here that I really wanted to talk about. It was in verse 14. It said, the Lord delivered me into the hands of those who I am not able to withstand. What do you think of that verse in comparison to the phrase that gets thrown out all the time, which is, God doesn't give you more than you can handle? That's not what that verse says. What are you talking about? <laughs> which verse? The, the one God doesn't give you more than you can handle. That's not a Bible verse. I didn't say it was. I oh. said that's what people say. Oh, all right. Never mind. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Listening is a skill, Karen. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. <laughs> but good point, though, Karen. It's not a Bible verse. Uh, you know, people always want to say that you can't, you won't get more than you can handle. God won't give you more than you can handle. And uh, you know what? I, I think that's 100% false. So Be the text, what the text actually says, and people, you know, they're they're loosely referring to a text that does exist, and mm -hmm. it, it's in the New Testament, and it set, and it basically says, "You will not be given more temptation than you can withstand, but with every temptation, a way of escape will be provided." Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's the one. So yeah, but a, a temptation is a little different than a circumstance, where. We can find ourselves in circumstances all the time that we can, can't handle. But what's the lesson to take from that? 
The lesson is that we have to turn to God. We oh, have to let shoot. God I often it. resort to flapping my hands in the air and just screaming for help. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, you know, this is an example of where someone is saying, I can't handle this. This is yep. more than me. And mm-hmm. that's the point that I guess that's the point I'm getting to is is get away from this belief that God won't let you have to deal with things that you can't deal with because the point is turn to him just like it was for Israel and Judah. They was always had opportunity to turn to God and they didn't, they tried to handle it themselves. Parts of this I think are really tricky and we've hit on it time and time again, as the situ as we've watched the situation develop over the weeks of reading. And that is basically, this is an entire nation's punishment coming down on individuals. Mm-hmm. And those individuals may or may not be individually deserving of the entire nation's punishment. And yet they're mm-hmm. caught up in it, mm-hmm. right? Or they might be entirely deserving. They might we be one of the baddest, baddest of the bad in Judah. But the average person has usually not gone out and committed all of the wrongs. Yeah. But the state of a nation gets handled by God. And they were told over and over and over, like, punishment's coming. Punishment's coming. Punishment's coming. And it won't last forever. It's going to last this long, but it's going to be horrible. And you need to do these things if you want to survive it, and then you'll be brought back home. And 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 yet, what I what I got out of Lamentations, like the, the gist of Lamentations is this is a small individual experience of a nation's punishment, which may or may not be completely fair to that single person. Well, I think what Karen's saying is very interesting because I've often wondered who Daniel's family was. Because, and I don't want to get too far off on a tangent, but that boy was apparently raised right, you know, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like, they knew the Lord. They knew who to turn to when things really went badly. And they knew how to pray. Uh, They knew the scriptures. So they're people from Jerusalem. You know, it, it does say that they were essentially probably upper middle class so kind of interesting. I wonder who they were. And in light of the fact also that so often in the times of the kings, we are told the name of the mother. And I always find that very interesting as though, you know, the mother has a massive influence on the child. And so we have all these references to these kings who either go, you know, they serve the Lord with all their heart or they turn away from the Lord and, you know, sleep with all these women and worship idols and all that. And it always says, and his mother was... And you're like, huh, mm-hmm. that's very interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we've noted that a few times here on the podcast where a lot of times they'll tell you who the mother was uh, of the king. And we thought that could be for different reasons. Either the mother's influence, which seems very poignant, or just to keep track of who the king had been with. Right, right. Identifier right, right. amongst the horde of women, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or a bit of, <laughs> bit of both, because a lot of times if a guy had a bad mom... They went bad too. So went off the rails. Absolutely. You know, yeah. I would agree with I would agree with Amy too. Is that, you know, I wonder too if if over that time of watching their nation collapse, that that Daniel's and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's families were very entrenched in the Lord and entrenched in prayer, and one of the you know maybe small uh, percentage of families there that were trying to do well while everything was was collapsing around them 
and that's what gave them their, you know, their zeal and fire for the Lord and wanting to do what the Lord wanted because they had witnessed this over time in a young age. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wonder too, if they were among the first that were pulled away that were kind kind of in that um, kind of royal lineage too, that not necessarily, you know, royalty, but, you know, maybe upper echelon in, in what their parents did or, you know, how they worked or their status within their community. Here's an interesting perspective that just popped into my head while Tracy was talking there. What are you saying? I was rambling. Uh, no, no, I'm saying you inspired oh. great thought on my part. Great. Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> um, so, so if I think about my kids, so I have two adult kids and I raise them, quote unquote, right. If during their teenage years, the city that we lived in had been captured and our enemy took them away and they were separated from everything they knew, where would that training have landed them? I don't know. I think there's definitely room for the individual yeah. here because would they have succumbed to what Babylon had to offer? Would they have stood firm? You know, teenagers, so that's pretty much the age range that Daniel and his buddies were in when they all got taken away and likely castrated and all of those things that happened to mm -hmm. captives. Right. And it's kind of interesting that they stood firm. And mm -hmm. I guess I'm I guess I'm curious. Like I if I think about my kids, like what would they have done? Like they were they were taught correctly, but they were raised in an atmosphere where the world wasn't putting any pressure on them. And so their, you know, their standards were soft, like most modern kids, their standards were soft. And they, you know, they kind of did what was right. And they kind of, they weren't, too, they weren't really bad, but they weren't really good either, you know. And if they had gotten dropped into a war with that same childhood training and gotten taken away and taken away from everything they knew and, you know, dumped into a strange land surrounded by strange habits and strange everything, what would they have done? I don't know. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that too, Well. Well, Karen was talking too. Is that I was rambling? I know. No, I was, you inspired a great thought. Um, <laughs> you know, that is the the hope of a parent is to that you want to say it's that coin toss, that fifty fifty possibility or probability of what will happen. But right now, I was just thinking, is it the coin toss or is it just your overall faith in God that you know what? Let that foundation be their landing point well while some of them do and some of them don't i always go back to it and you'll probably be able to find this to our millions and millions of listeners mm -hmm. if you go back you know the first 50 or so um that my son brought out a very very good point is you know we always try to give him that foundation and you know church like Sabbath school, the whole deal, learning all the Bible stories, that kind of thing, and that foundation and prayer and our family. But he said, you know, Dad, the only thing is my relationship with God will be totally different than yours. Mm -hmm. And it was a harsh reality, but it was 100% true. Something that sometimes we as parents overlook and just think that sometimes by osmosis, they'll just continue the same journey, but the journey is their own. And we only can provide them with so much. And I think that's 
it was a blessing and it was a God thing that Daniel and his friends were able to maintain that. Yeah, that individual path is really interesting. I, I remember my mom telling me many, many years ago, I was a kid, I was, I was probably like in middle school or so. I remember my mom telling me that even though she was raised in a a you know a correct religious environment she was taught the bible and this and that and the other thing she, you know she by her own estimation said that her true heart conversion probably did not come until 30 to early 30s you know so mm. and and who knows what circumstance that was for her that made her suddenly take that step but it has to be done like at some point everybody has to do it and for for the average person you know the world's pretty comfortable Here's these guys up against it. Like everybody in Judah is up against it for years. They're watching their nation like go down in flames, in in incremental flames. Like <laughs> yeah. over right. over a period of 10 or 11 years. And and you know, and now we're down to the final thing. And man, talk about talk about the fire of character building. Like you're gonna go one way or the other. Well, alrighty, we've spent over half an hour with the first chapter of a five-chapter book. So. <laughs> no, it's all good stuff. But, uh, I mean, unless you guys have something very specific about those last few verses of uh, chapter one, I think let's move into chapter two here, which begins with a title, at least in my Bible, is a title of God's Anger with Jerusalem. And we get some... We get some poetic descriptions of how God has shown his anger with with Israel. And and on one hand, I think that these are probably descriptors that are hard for Christians maybe to want to think about. But then on the other hand, they are descriptors that a lot of people, I think, have automatically associated with Old Testament God as mm. as being judgmental and angry and smiting. You know, I mean, they're 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 terms like um, he's cast them down. He doesn't remember them. He's hasn't pitied them. He's profaned the kingdom. He's cut them off. He's blazed like a flaming fire. He's like an adversary. Uh, he's slain all who were pleasing to his eye. He's like an enemy. He's increased mourning and lamentation. So, I mean, these are like the these are like the terms that people think of with Old Testament God. And this is the way people were starting to feel about him, maybe a little bit right then, uh, or at least uh, that's the way the author is kind of describing him. Yeah, verse 17, the Lord has done that which he has devised. He has fulfilled his word that he has commanded in the days of old. He has thrown down and he has not pitied. Uh, he has caused thine enemies to rejoice over thee. Uh, he has set up the horn of your adversaries. So, mm -hmm. yeah, kind of dark stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some very interesting things that are talked about here. Um, talks about how he's he has caused the appointed feasts and Sabbaths to be forgotten in Zion. I mean, this is the stuff that formed this nation. You know, this is a nation that was formed by its religion, at least initially. It's an and it's in a nation that that even though they didn't really stick to it, it was still their identity. They still, you know, they had this weird this weird hold on on what God wanted and then on the, uh, uh, you know, the outside influence stuff. And they kind of like wanted to have a hand on, on both of those things. And so they didn't really, it's not like they totally abandoned it. They just weren't doing it. And at this point, God is like, fine, you're not going to do it. Then I'm just going to wipe, wipe the slate clean here. And you're not going to, you're not going to be able to do it. And so that that's an interesting 
place for God to be of just like taking it away. You know, things like he spurned his altar and he's abandoned his sanctuary. So, again, more things that were just so central to Israel's identity. Uh, the first part of verse 19 reminded me of the passage in Revelation where it talks about the prayers of the saints coming up before the throne of God with how long, how long, right? Mm -hmm. Where it says, yes. Arise, mm -hmm. cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Like these are these are people who have been pushed to their extremity. We'll get there again. Go planet Earth. <laughs> yeah, great. Now, verse nine was very interesting to me where it says the law is no more. And I have an exclamation point next to that. How did that go exactly? But uh, the law is no more and her prophets find no vision from the Lord. Uh, I think we can remember. I think it was in Jeremiah where God specifically told people, don't say that you heard anything from me because I'm not talking to you. <laughs> and even Jeremiah wasn't supposed to say it. I don't think even Jeremiah was supposed to say God told me. At least that was the impression I was getting at the time when we were reading that. And even here now, where this author, if it's Jeremiah, is is reminding us that God is not talking to those prophets. These were all the prophets who were telling everybody that everything was going to be fine and it was going to be good and okay. Just a couple of thoughts. I know people have a really hard time sometimes with the idea of God judging or punishing. And I, I feel like we forget sometimes the perspective of the innocent. So if someone is being uh, tortured, molested, you know, all of these things that can happen to another person, we want justice and we want someone who, um, who will stand up for us if we're weak, if we're the one who the crimes are being, you know, perpetuated against or, or whatever. So I think that's an important thing to remember is that the other half of justice is the idea of someone who intervenes for the innocent. And then I also think, you know, we have to keep in perspective the fact that God, throughout all of these prophecies, the image that he also brings in is, I'm going to take down the hedge. So it's not that, you know, God is directly punishing them. It's the fact that he has been protecting them. And he says, you know, you're going to forfeit my protection. And, and they do at some point. And so he finally says, all right, I'm taking down the hedge. And it's the punishment comes from Babylon. You know, and I wonder sometimes if if people in general forget that God places that hedge and then in, in essence, too, can allow it to be removed or remove mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, here we go where it says the law is no more. You know, is this God saying, hey, you're not keeping it anyway. So there's your hedge that as long as you stay inside that hedge, you're safe. You stay inside the wall, you're safe. Go outside the wall, not great. I mean, I'm even that's even making me think of going back to Garden of Eden stuff. They were inside the garden. Things were awesome. They got placed outside the garden. Not great anymore. Of course, I mean, there's more correlation than that. But uh, I think it does still give us kind of a mind picture of, of how boundaries are in place to keep us safe. They're not there to imprison us. They are there for... Uh, for our protection and for our well-being. And if we if we observe the boundaries, if we honor the boundaries, then we're going to be much happier inside the boundaries. Well, that all reminds me of, remember the movie, A Man for All Seasons? Did you guys ever see that? One I have not seen. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, it it's about the priest who stands up to, is it Henry VIII? Um, and, you know, Henry VIII, 
essentially says, well, do away with the law in this one case. You know, he's very capricious in his activity. He wants this one woman. So he wants to just walk over the law. And, and, and the priest says, do you really want to live in a world where the law can just be done away with on the whim of one man? And he says, you, you do not want to live uh, where that wind blows, I think is how he puts it. So the law is a protection. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, God saying it's, or well, I guess, I don't know, I'm not sure if it's God speaking through this guy or through this author, or if it's um, just the author's perceptions here. But with the law gone, all those protections are gone and all those regulations are gone. And so when we think of that in terms of modern day, when people are like, oh, the law was done away with at the cross. He's like, think about the real ramifications of what that would mean if the law was actually just gone. It was just gone. Right. Think that through. Then anybody could do anything they wanted any time at all. And, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm saved by Jesus, which we are. Of course we are. We all understand that here. We all understand that we're saved by grace through Jesus. We're not saved by the law. But we all understand that the law is there for our benefit and our protection. And while we're maybe not bound by it anymore, where if we fail at the law, which we will, that we have, uh, we're, we're not, condemned for that you know we're we're fortunately saved by the grace of jesus but i mean just think about what that would mean if if it were not there the chaos that would ensue if there were no law it would be it would be absolute insanity it would be horrific the amount of of just awful things that people could do to each other and and forgetting you know, forgetting about who God is. It doesn't make sense to say that the law was ever done away with. So um, something for, for our listeners to think about. Well, just to that point, I always find it interesting that when people want to say that there's only one part of the law that they're interested in doing away with. They're not trying to encourage people to commit adultery. Uh, they're not trying to encourage people to murder or steal or lie. Um, and it, they're only interested in people not keeping the Sabbath. And that that's always been interesting to me. Yeah. Well, that is the big one. But I think there are some people who would like to do away with that one about adultery. <laughs> oh, okay. Fair. <laughs> it's so yeah. tedious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but it is definitely a pick and choose. Uh, right. Well, we're not under the law. And it's usually because I want to do this one thing, you know. Um, but nobody's going to be like, yeah, sure. It's fine. Come in, take my TV. You know, nobody's like that. Nobody's. Uh, there's no there's no legitimate Christian who's going to tell you that, uh, you know, it's OK to worship an idol that you stick up in the corner of your house. You know, those kind right. of things. So so a you si- think a 60 inch high definition idol or what are we talking here? Hey, 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 hey. <clears throat> don't oh. get personal. OK. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but so, yeah, God isn't talking to prophets because like verse 14 says the prophets were giving false information. They were telling everybody that everything's going to be fine. But like Amy said before, God did exactly what he said he was going to do. He had been telling them, I'm going to destroy this city. I'm going to it's going to go away. And all these other prophets have been like, nah, no, this isn't going to happen. And so, um, you know, when I often wonder, 
to these days? Do we have prophets who are speaking to us now? And my basic answer to that question is, I don't know. I don't know. But anytime you hear somebody saying, now nah, you're just fine the way you are. Don't worry about it. You don't need to change a thing about yourself. That is probably not a prophetic message from God because God's message always seems to be repent and come back to me. Repent and come back to me because we're fallible human beings. We have problems. We make mistakes. If we keep living in those mistakes, um, we get so far off track. We're not even on the path anymore like we were talking before. And so if we if we are to hear a prophet talking to us today, I think it's probably wise for us to consider what's the underlying message. Is the underlying message you're fine or is the underlying message repent, examine yourself, think through things? And that seems to be a big part of the reason why Israel and Judah had been failing and because everybody had just been allowed to do what they wanted and they had been getting reinforced in that belief. Okay. I'm going to take, I'm going to take issue with one aspect of what you just said. Okay. I actually believe we're all allowed to do whatever we want all of the time. Sure. Oh, we're allowed. Yes. Uh, was it Paul? All things are, how does he put it? All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Yeah, I mean, we are we are creatures of free will. We mm -hmm. so yes, allowed to do it. Yes, is it beneficial? No, uh, allowed to do it. Yes. What are the what are the consequences? You know, that's that's the things to think about with that. So I think to your to your point about is someone you know prophesying among us, and I think one of the things that you know that an Old Testament prophet did. And, and this is true in the New Testament as well, is the, the prophets would open the word to people and the word itself is convicting. You know, you can, when you read the scripture, you're like, oh, I need to come to Jesus about this, or I need to give this to the Lord. And that's a, that's a normal response of a human heart when it realizes, okay, I'm not aligned with what is good and God is good. But then the other half of that is that whenever the Lord is speaking to someone, he gives hope. And I, I really believe that. I think that when a person receives the word and is is walking in Jesus, we're not led to despair, even if our behavior has been atrocious. I mean, truly atrocious. Look at the New Testament stories when Jesus encounters people who are truly bad, like the demoniac, right? The mm -hmm. guy's like cutting himself. He's chained in the tombs. He's in, he's in serious trouble and he's a bad human being. And when he finally comes to the Lord and when he meets Jesus, he's given hope. And so to me, that's the other half of it. It never leads you to despair. Mm, good point. Good point. Yeah. In the very end of what I saw in chapter two here, verse 20 was an interesting question that gets presented by the author where he says, see, O Lord, and consider to whom you have done this. Should the women eat their offspring, the children they have cuddled? Should the priest and prophet be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? On the one hand, at the very beginning of this, this sounds almost like a question, almost like a challenge to God. Right. Like you're going to let it get this bad. Yeah. Almost like he's asking, is it right for you to do this? Do you think that is the tack that is being taken on this? Or is it more along the lines of, was this the way this was supposed to go all along? Because if this is Jeremiah uh, and he's been the one giving the message for everybody to repent for 
years. It seems like a strange question for him to ask. Hey, look, who, what's going on? We're your chosen people. Why are you doing this? So I don't know. What's your what's your impressions on that verse? It's pretty rough. Yeah, you're right. I well, thought I kind of the same thing you thought, which is like it's the it's the you know, it's the sort of grieving wail of the person who's stuck on the receiving end of this big old nationwide punishment, like all of Judah is being given a big old smackdown right now. And here's this person going, how bad are you going to let it get? And again, I kept in my brain, I kept going back to Revelation, like how long, how long? Like we know we've sinned. We know this is coming. You told us this was coming, but how long? Yeah. So maybe, you know, maybe it is one of those times, those legitimate questions that we're okay to ask. If we, we know if things just, they just stink, you know, and it's okay for us to go, is this okay? I mean, God, why, you know, why God, you know, is, it, I mean, we may not get a direct answer, but it seems like it's perfectly fine to ask the question. At least we can <clears throat> probably have some faith that God will help us to work it out and consider it and think about it. And we don't have to think of God as like just this arbitrary being who, who, you know, we just have to accept whatever happens but where we are able to ask the question, what's going on? Why? Yeah, I think that's exactly what we're supposed to take from this is that if someone is in a relationship with God, which if this is written by Jeremiah, he has a fantastic relationship with God. But when he sees something he can't comprehend, he's he's allowed to ask that. He's allowed to you know, plead with God and, and mourn over this. And then it's interesting to me that as we move into chapter three, he answers those questions himself. Is it not of the Lord's mercy that we are not all consumed because of his compassions, because his compassion does not fail? Um, and so, you know, he he has a strong enough relationship or faith, like you said, to where he's able to, to question God. And that's an amazing position for us to have. You think about it. We have an all powerful God, all knowing, um, all seeing, is everywhere, knows everything, you know, and we as these tiny little specks on a blue little speck in a sea of specks are able to go, <laughs> why? You know, it's okay for us to say, why? Um, in chapter three, I really like the shift that happened. So it gets very, he starts off really, really personal. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath, right? And then he goes into the details. He's made my skin and my flesh grow old, has broken my bones, um, he has barred my way with blocks of stone, made my paths crooked. Um, he drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows, right? He gets really, really descriptive about what it's like to be punished by God and to go through this thing that he's going through. And then you get down to verse 19, and it starts to shift a little bit. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. And from there on, there's a shift in what, in the sort of like what's being discussed in this lamentations process. I have that highlighted. I put um, change in big letters. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Let's but look I at. We, I think we okay. see that too, and it just it kind of brings me back to Psalms, where David can 
can be upset, can be pouring out his heart, and then all of a sudden there's a, a, a switch or the switch gets flipped and then it's, you know, but God's mercy and his kindness is always there and I'll always look for it. And, you know, I think that's kind of how I got that feeling right there at that change was the same thing. Yeah. So like in, in chapter three, it's uh, verses 37, 38 and 39 are kind of like the thing, like who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Why should the living complain when punished for their sins? Right? And then he goes on. Let us examine our ways and test them. Let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, We have sinned and rebelled and you have not forgotten. You have not forgiven. And then he goes into this thing. Like, you have punished us. You have punished us. You have punished, punished us. And then you will welcome, back, welcome us back. So... Now, I take a little bit of exception to this because I, I understand that God has an ultimate plan that he's working out, but I do not believe that everything that happens on earth is in God's plan A. I think we've moved far past plan A, which was for humans not to sin, which was for humans to start in the Garden of Eden, stick with the tree of life, not be interested in the other tree, and to, you know, that was plan A. And so I think we're well down into the weeds on plan B. Do I think that God intentionally plans the calamities that come to the earth? No. I think we're living out the fallout of fallen nature, fallen earth, combined with human free will. But I get what they're saying. Yeah. To what Karen said, I often think about the fact that we live in a fallen place. And I see that, mm -hmm. of course, as a veterinarian all the time. You know, all these innocent animals, it's not their fault. And yet they suffer in, incredibly. But anyway, that's just an aside. But I, I also want to not overlook verses 31 through 33. The Lord will not cast off forever, but though he will cause grief, yet he will have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies, for he does not afflict the children of men uh, willingly. Right. We get in there to verse 40. Let us search out and examine our ways. It's time to, it's time to think about what we have done why we are where we are it's time for us to turn back to god this is a it's a central theme i think of the entire bible as we've read so far in the old testament examine what you're doing and turn back to god and you get go on into verse 42 we transgressed and god didn't pardon it uh and then in the context of that we can see that it, you know it talks about how god has acted severely and then i put in parentheses and justly you know we have we 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 make this sometimes like a false division on god's character where we can be like well he acted severe and then we but then we want to put in but you know he was severe but he was just no it should be he was severe and he was just you know we got this is it seems to me like this is sort of be saying we got what we deserve. This is this is probably what should have happened. Nobody likes it. And I'm like you said, Karen, not God's plan A, but all the severity that we're reading about what happened in Judah and in Jerusalem, even some of the horrific stuff we're going to talk about. Uh, yeah, in chapter four, it's just it's awful, but it's just and our little human brains maybe have a hard time 
reconciling that. But but thinking of God as anything but just, I think I think by this point in our readings, we've seen that God is has always been just. He has always been right in the things that he's done. And so when we see these horrific things happening to the people of Jerusalem, uh, we have to you've got to remember what's happened before that happened. And they're in the position they are, not because God put them there, but because they kind of put themselves there. Now, verse 52 is a verse that kind of had me wondering, is this Jeremiah? But I think depending on whether or not it's Jeremiah changes the context of the verse where he says, my enemies without cause hunted me down like a bird. So if we're talking about Babylon as the enemies, that would have me questioning if this is Jeremiah who is writing this because Jeremiah had a very clear concept of why Babylon was invading and taking everything over. And it was because of, of Jerusalem's uh, wickedness from all the, all the evil things that he had been doing for a long time. But if this is Jeremiah, I got to think this could be Jeremiah talking about those people who had him thrown in a cistern, you know, refused to listen to anything he ever said. So either, you know, one way or the other, you know, it throws it sheds a little light on maybe whether or not this is Jeremiah. But if it is, then it changes uh, the perspective of that verse of who the enemies are and who is uh, doing this without cause. And the chapter ends with a prayer for God to repay the enemies for their unjust actions. And so I don't know, maybe it was maybe Jeremiah was at the time I'm trying to remember now thinking back to Jeremiah, if he at the time even had written down that he had prayed for them to be repaid for what they did to him. Seems like maybe he did. I'd have to go back and read that. I don't know. Any of you remember that? Like when he was tossed in the cistern? I don't recall that. I'd have to go back and look and see. So I have a commentary open in front of me, and it says that um, there is no record that a stone was thrown over the cistern. And so that's made some people question whether or not this is Jeremiah writing. I don't know mm. if that's pertinent to what you're asking, but mm. yeah. I don't know. It just, uh, the, the phrase was just interesting to me because at first, when I first read it, I was like, really no cause at all. <laughs> and so if you're talking about Babylon, if it was Jeremiah, that doesn't make sense because yeah, he already said that they will be paid back. He said that yeah. flat out in his prophecies. Yeah. And so if this is maybe a random guy in Jerusalem writing it and he's going, why is Babylon coming? You know, maybe, maybe that would make more sense, make some sense. But I think if it's Jeremiah, he's probably talking about the people in uh, Judah's and Jerusalem society who were actively fighting against him uh, yeah. when he was trying to get this message out. That would make sense. If this is Jeremiah, that would make a lot of sense. Like, his, mm -hmm. why, why are you going after me? I just gave you the Lord's word. I tried to warn you, and you throw me in a pit. Yeah. And so that's actually the, that's actually the, the answer that makes the most sense to me and really does give some evidence that maybe this was Jeremiah writing this, or at least gives credence to this being mm -hmm. Jeremiah's writing. In verse, or chapter 4, talks about how everything that was valuable is now is gone. So I think we're talking about the end of the siege here. We're talking about, you know, when all the things that had been 
looked upon by the world when people looked to Jerusalem and they saw the amazing riches and they saw all the the, the amazing wealth and all this you know the other things because it's not just I mean, we're not just talking about monetary wealth here we're talking about their you know their position in the land and and you know how how the land was the land itself was prosperous you know lots of water and they're talking about the sanctuary how how the sanctuary the stones of the sanctuary are scattered so i think at this point we're talking about when the walls were broken down when nebuchadnezzar's forces did go in and and destroy the temple and now all the all these things are gone all these things that they had looked to as like this pride of their nation it's gone i have it written here in my my stuff is that mine is just standing there in the aftermath Mm -hmm. you know in that moment of just reckoning where you realize everything is gone it's Mm -hmm. it's over you know you're just kind of there amongst the the smoldering embers of the fire and you have nothing left Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah i mean imagine imagine if we had an invasion in the united states and our capital and white house were in in ru- were in rubble or you know mount rushmore had been blown up or you know any of these things i mean just imagine try to imagine what that would be like i mean i don't know if you, i imagine most of you have probably been to dc maybe i mean i've been there once Me too. and it's amazing yeah, yeah it's and it's amazing to be there and see those things but if you could if you went there or even just saw it on TV and just saw it all destroyed. Imagine how that would make you feel as a, as a patriot, as someone who, you know, we've, I think we've probably all been basically raised to love our country and, and, uh, you know, be, be generally supportive of it. But to see, if you were to see all that now in, in ruins or even your own home, I mean, think of it of your own home. Anybody who's ever been like through a natural disaster or a fire or uh, any of these things and they see their own home in ruins and all the things they worked for gone, you can barely imagine it. And there may be some of our listeners who know exactly what that feels like. And I think that's the perspective that we're getting here in uh, the beginning of chapter four, where um, everything is just gone to the point where he says that the punishment is greater than what happened to Sodom. I was thinking about that. I mean, how do you get worse than what happened to Sodom? You know, well, by dragging it out over years and making exactly. people survive it instead of dying in an instant. I mean, the human yeah. impact here is way different and way worse than Sodom. Exactly. That was my thought, too, where right. Sodom's was relatively uh, practically instantaneous. Maybe it was instantaneous. You know, you think yeah. of that almost right. like a almost like a nuclear bomb going off or something over Sodom and Gomorrah. But yeah, they barely had time to get scared before they were dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna go violently, that's the way I'd rather go. But if you have to deal with it over years and years, and uh, you know, when we get into verse ten, and oh man, what an image verse ten is. I, as a parent, I can't even imagine this. I don't know. This is this is gut wrenching. Where it says the hands of the compassionate women have cooked their own children. You think about that. Think about. Think about Not taking. Long. What was that? I don't want to think about it for long. <laughs> no, I know you can't. Yeah, you no, can't. No. But you think about taking your baby, slaughtering that baby, butchering that baby, and cooking that baby. 
and then eating that baby. I mean, oh, and it sounds like you're making it up, but it happened. And I was reading that this is actually cannibalism is pretty common in siege situations when all of the resources are being are being depleted and people are starting to starve and they start. Oh, start going to their going to their own babies. I just I don't know. I just finished a book on the uh, siege of Leningrad and it was gut wrenching. It was, you know, horrific to think about those people starving and, you know, children trying to, he talks about them eating the binding of books because there was some glue in the binding and it was somewhat edible and it filled Mm. your stomach and putting sawdust in their bread and, you know, all these things. And then of course, cases of known cannibalism. You know, just horrific. So, yeah, in a way, Sodom was more merciful because they were just gone. Yeah. I think the the flip side, if if you're a parent in that situation, I think the I think the flip side is I don't see a way that my child will survive this. I can't stand watching them suffer. If I die, they're going to be left without me. Right. Like, I think there's all these ways that would rationalize like mm. I got to do this and it's, and it's going to be the old and the weak and the young. It's going to be the, the most vulnerable and helpless in society that go first because they're going to die yeah. first anyway. Yeah. There's a disturbing logic to that, I guess. Sorry. And, no, Gosh, well, I, haven't even I think there yet. is a logic, but I think you also have to almost cross that cross. line to be able to do it, mm-hmm. to know that you have no other option to do that, to eat another human. It's, that's you have to be down and out because before we've read on other sieges where where people were being starved and remember it was bird poop was being sold Mm -hmm. for you know a lot of money and it was like we were talking Mm -hmm. then about how terrible that would be this is 10 times worse Mm -hmm. you've exhausted the bird poop at this point yeah yeah awful awful you guys are freaking me out a little bit. <laughs> um, I heard something on the radio several years ago. There was a young uh, rap artist who was being interviewed on Fresh Air on NPR. And the interviewer was asking him questions about when he had been a child soldier in Sudan. And he told the most amazing story and was a terrific witness. He said that he was eight years old when he entered a village where everyone had just been killed. And the soldiers started cannibalizing the bodies because they hadn't eaten in four days. And he says, and I, he basically said, um, I knew that this was like a moment when I either became a cannibal or another thing happened, you know. And he said, and I remembered that my mother had taught me there's a man named God. And if you talk to him, he will help you. And that was it. That's all he knew. And he said, and so I prayed, you know, God, will you please help me? I don't want to become a cannibal. And he found a packet of food in a dead soldier's pockets and he ate that. And he said, that's when God helped me. And then later he talked about the fact that he was adopted by a Christian aid worker. So it was quite a story. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. I can't even imagine being to the point where that becomes an option. Right. You know, thank God. Well, and and in the meantime, in the meantime, one of the latest trends in Hollywood is eating human meat and they're bragging about it and they're saying, no, it's it's ethically harvested. And like there's restaurants that serve this. And so you can go there and try this delicacy. And it's like, wait, are you serious? Like, are you kidding? Are you serious? No, I am absolutely not kidding you. 
Right. Uh, You can go and try it and, oh, don't worry, all of our meat is ethically harvested. What does that mean? I feel like I want to know what that means. What about, Tracy, what about prion diseases right here? (laughs) Yeah, no, I I don't, oh, yeah, no. No. That'd be a no for me. No. Mm. But then you too, you know what that makes me think of, right, at this point, it's like, how far has our heart culture slipped? Right. How far have we, you know? Oh, yeah. That's that. That's mind blowing. Mm. That is. You know, there's some. There are some country con, uh, companies that are. Well, actually, they've started doing it. Basically, making cloned meat, which I don't want to try anyway. But with a degraded morality that we're seeing these days, how long before somebody does, I mean, you say ethically harvested, but even a cloned human, so, you know, how long before somebody wants to serve you a cloned human steak and some, and, and people will be like, ah, it's fine. It's not a real person. I mean, yeah, you know, or when do we get to the point where, oh yeah, you know, uh, forget the cloning, just get the real thing. Oh yeah. Mm. And so I'm, Look at the ways we're describing our current society. We're not even in the same siege situation. It's like we're choosing to to do it because we can. And ah, Jesus, come quickly, please. Oh my! Right? Unbelievable. The things the things that we yeah, I, do. I would not have believed it except I've read I've read their website myself. Like I, oh. I did not when I heard it in the news report, whatever I heard, I was like, oh, nope, that can't be real. So I looked it up and read their entire website myself. And I was like, OK, now I believe it. And oh. uh, well, I mean, it, yeah, oof. I mean, it tracks with some of the things I've heard about Hollywood and I've tried to go. OK, that's you know, I try to compartmentalize it and like, OK, that's over there. But um, it's right over there. You know, that is terrifying Mm -hmm. absolutely terrifying and look at the paralyzed the parallels we're seeing in our society and we're doing it because we choose to not because we have to oh my gosh what a what a world Mm -hmm. Hmm. well so verse two it says the kings of the earth and all inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem, and it's because of the sins of her prophets. Put that into the context of what we were, these things we're just talking about—the things that we, you know, we're in a we we live at a time where everybody is told, "Hey, man, you're fine. Just live how you want to live. Do what you want to do. Live your truth." And look at the kind of things that are starting to happen. I mean, you know, I mean, you've got abortion rates sky high. You've got, you know, you got murders and suicides. And now apparently we're eating each other. And and because if you want to call it our quote unquote prophets, look at the air air quotes, Pete audio listeners. um, (laughs) But we have these these these. I mean, what, I mean, what else would you call them? Prophets saying it's all fine. It's all good. Oh, well, I just right now, specifically, I feel that side of the desire for God's justice. And I think, yeah. you know, when we look at the rest of the scripture, we realize in the Psalms that 
you know, from a Christian perspective or from a believer's perspective, the idea is not that, oh dear, God is just. I don't want that. The perspective is, no, God is just. He will defend the innocent. And that's what I want. That, that's, that's all I want right now is for God to defend someone who might be, you know, in one of those situations in Hollywood. Yeah. 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 Well, you, you know, it's not just Hollywood, too. I mean, you know, right. this is probably all kinds of high up. Um, situations where people feel powerful enough to be able to do this stuff and who's going to question them you know who who is saying looking them in the face and saying no and how many people are going oh but it's you know it's them i disgusting disgusting well like karen said how long oh lord you know Mm -hmm. yeah well and i think you know that will push us right into chapter five then where where the prayer comes for restoration Mm-hmm. Where finally, finally, through these books and chapters and many prophets we've been talking about, finally somebody is saying, Please, God, help us. Please help us. And that's, you know, they've gotten to such a low point finally where they're at the bottom, there's nowhere to look but up, and they are finally calling to God. Now, if this is Jeremiah, of course, I'm sure that he's been calling for a long time. But if it's and if it's Jeremiah speaking on behalf of the people, it still makes total sense because how do you get much lower than this? And please, God, see what's happening. They've seen that it says we our inheritance has been turned over to aliens, meaning, you know, other other countries. Uh, how interesting that this pride that they had is taken away. And in a lot of ways, it's given right back to where it came from. You know, when Israel came in, they had to take the land from people. It was given to them by God, but they had to take the land. And now they're seeing the land getting just taken right away again. And all that pride is just getting knocked away while they're stripped of, of the things that gave them pride. Talks about how, uh, you know, they used to look to Egypt and Assyria for protection, for protection and salvation. And now they're recognizing that the sins of their fathers have consequences for the current generation. You know, you ever wonder what are we dealing with that our generations ahead of us set into motion? You know, we think of like the World War II generation as the greatest generation, but we're, you know, what, a couple generations past that and we're dealing with some stuff. And as good as that generation was and the things they had to go through, let's face it. Some of the things we're dealing with probably were set in motion, at least in some capacity, in the past. And things snowball. And uh, I think things have happened very rapidly in the last couple of decades, maybe. But there's was there had to have been something that started things going. And so as as we're dealing with stuff and as, as uh, Jerusalem was dealing with stuff, it's all been a snowball effect. The effects of sin just rolling up and rolling up and rolling up. So it's finally the point where the consequences have finally led the people to admit their fault. We never want to think that that's where we get to. That, that, that we have to suffer the consequences before we realize we're wrong. But sometimes we have to, we have to get to that point. We have to get to the point where we see where our actions have led. Sometimes it's that bottom of the barrel and that's the only thing that wakes us up i think verse 21 is super interesting because it says uh turn thou unto us again O lord and we shall be turned renew our days as of old and 
this is a phrase that does kind of remind me of things Jeremiah said, because he's always talking about repentance and he's always saying, turn back to the Lord, turn back. And, you know, this is where we can find grace. I mean, God is still a gracious God. And in the midst of this horror, he's still saying, hey, come back to me and things will be different. Mm-hmm. I have a big question mark right at the end. That's how mm-hmm. I finish my notes. It's a big question mark over uh-huh. 22. Mm-hmm. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are very yeah. free with us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, that, that should almost it, that made my heart kind of sink because, in a way, I felt like wh- whoever wrote this was still like, "Can it get any worse?" Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Whoever wrote this also should know better than to end a sentence with a complex prepositional phrase, and I have to say. <laughs> I spent more time than I should have as a Christian being annoyed at that. <laughs> Literary license. <Sorry. laughs> Grammar, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, but interesting perspective for the for the book to end on where we have a recognition that they're they're in the position they are because of their own actions that god has acted justly but with a question of where does it go from here are you know is god just done with us uh we know there's a whole lot of book left to read uh or a collection of books i should say with the bible a whole lot book left to read to know we know that he wasn't done with them but a very interesting position to be in of of wondering is god just done is he just done with us oh how how do how do things go interesting because if it is jeremiah jeremiah had been telling them that god would bring back israel from babylon so i don't know it does uh, it does raise some interesting questions about uh who wrote it i'm just curious tracy if you came up with any sort of resolution in your mind you know i didn't i i just kind of I ended with that empty feeling, mm-hmm. just being just being sad for a person. You know what, what I mean? After yeah. going through all that and still in that small background of their mind, they still have that question, mm-hmm. unless it's not done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless yeah. you feel angry with us. Yeah, and it's kind of a sad place to be, but is it a at the same time, is it, I don't know, is it a good place to be? Because then it leaves you reviewing your own life. It leaves you questioning, you know, what do I need to do? Where have I been? How can, how can I change? Or it leaves you utterly looking for your savior. Yes. Yes. And I guess that's maybe where I'm trying to, where I'm trying to come from. Because, you know, what I was, the, the words I was thinking about saying would almost make it sound like we bring our own salvation, which is absolutely not true you know i kept the words i was going to say is what do i need to do you know but you hit the nail on the head tracy i need to look to my savior i can't do it it's not me i have to look to my savior it's the only way that i get out of this it's the only way and and, uh so god if you haven't if you haven't rejected me completely please save me and we know that god hasn't rejected them So with that, uh, that'll be our time for this week. 
Next week, we are going to start a new book, and we're going to be in the book of Ezekiel for a while. Next week, we will read chapters one through four. Amy, I think I remember you telling me that Ezekiel was a favorite book of yours. It's just so interesting, uh, but I don't feel like I have any expertise. I just feel like, wow, it's so cool. (laughs) Well, being interested is a good place to start. So uh, that's where we will be next week, Ezekiel chapters one through four, and we look forward to talking to you about that. While you are waiting for us, remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org with any questions or comments or concerns. Uh, if you want to help uh, Karen with, with grammar things and, and, and reinforce her, her, her grammar, <laughs> grammar Karen-ness, then by all means, because uh, grammar that is important. That sentence right there is probably just grating on her. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Me, I'm looking. I'm looking thoughtful right now. It's fine. She's, she probably took the red pen to her Bible. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, be sure you share the podcast with your friends and family. I cannot stress that enough. Share the podcast with your friends and family. Right now, the podcast you can listen to it directly at Facebook. If you just click that share button, you do us tremendous, tremendous help. We're not asking for money. We're not asking for anything other than for your participation to help us spread the word for the podcast so that other people can get the message as well. Um, Your one listening event could put us over a million. It could. You never know. You never know. But it would be an amazing way for you to help us get this concept out of who God is, what his character is like. Um, Anyway, uh, we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.